So I found a study, the NHTSA, the Highway Safety Transportation Agency, actually did a study on, you know, under the influence um, testing. And they found that actually folks that are under the influence of cannabis drive slower, follow cars at greater distance, and uh, are more responsible, take less chances when driving, as opposed to those under the influence of alcohol who drive faster, drive closer distances, and take greater risks. So I'm not saying that, hey, cannabis will make you a better driver, <laughs> but when you start looking at the research of how does it affect the public, you're less of a risk. And that's big for insurance companies when mm -hmm. they go, all right, what do we want to you know, evaluate here when we want to change law enforcement rules? This is Lit and Lucid, your after-work de-stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host, Lit. And I'm your host, Lucid, and we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back. Consume your favorite cannabis products and get cozy, cozy in the, the lit and lucid, lucid lifestyle. Welcome everybody to season 16 of the podcast. We hope you enjoyed our homegrown series made in Colorado focused on Colorado based companies. This season, we are back at it talking to guests from coast to coast. To kick off this season, we are speaking with a good friend of ours, Tim Egan. He is a New Hampshire representative representing the Grafton District 2 since 2018. He is also the principal at Sugar Hills Associates, a forward-thinking media firm specializing in broadcast and web-based video content services in marketing and media affairs. In his free time, Tim is a part-time faculty member at the Vermont State College System. Joining Tim today is Matt Simon. He is a former college English instructor and a longtime advocate for cannabis policy reforms. He founded the New Hampshire Coalition for Common Sense Marijuana Policy in 2007, expanding his work into other states, when in 2011, he was hired by the National Marijuana Policy Project. Matt has since moved on from MPP and began working with Prime ATC, a nonprofit medical cannabis business that operates two dispensaries in New Hampshire. We're super excited to kick off season 16 with two very knowledgeable guests who know a lot about New England cannabis legislation. Uh, so with that, we're really excited to have the both of you joining us today. Welcome, Tim and Matt. Thank you so much. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Jared. Hey, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Matt. <laughs> you know, happy to have you both on. And, uh, you know, Tim and Tim and Lucy and I, we all go way back and uh, stoked to finally have a chance to sit down with you, Tim, and talk about a lot of the great work you're doing out east. And, uh, you know, that's going to be a big focus of, of really the whole uh, whole episode today is finding out, you know, what's happening in New Hampshire. And I know, uh, you know, there's a lot going on in New Hampshire. And uh, there's some other stuff, you know, in, in especially uh, and uh, other states around there, too, that, that's already been happening, and especially Vermont. And, then, you know, we're well aware of Massachusetts and New York's coming online and New Jersey's figuring it out and a lot happening kind of in, you know, northeastern part of the U.S. So excited to tell our, our guests and our listeners a little bit more about uh, what's happening up there. Um, but first, let's start with you, Tim. You know, tell us a little bit about the history of you know, cannabis in New Hampshire and how you got involved with some of the legalization efforts there. Well, it's interesting because there was a statistic I saw by the Boston Globe the other day that the state of Massachusetts announced on May 31st that in the four years that they had legal adult use cannabis, they hit the $3 billion mark. And at four years mirrors, when I decided to run for the House of Representatives, and I've been in the House for four years trying to figure out how to make cannabis legal in New Hampshire. So it was a really sort of telling and troubling statistic because <laughs> I've got involved in the legislature for what I call economic development, environment, and, and education. And economic development, in my opinion, especially in a northern state's tourism-oriented marketplace with ski mountains and bike trails, cannabis would be a perfect attribute to have as part of that tourism. And it's just been sort of frustrating to see when I started Mass, then Maine, then Vermont, now then Connecticut, now Rhode Island, and so still New Hampshire is at the end. I, I, I think I got involved um, way back in the early days, which is actually how we met through the um, 
Uh, actually, it was the precursor to working with the Cannabis Certification Council. I worked with a group, um, the New England Women for Environmental Engineering, and they were focused on sustainability. And they put together an energy conference focusing on sustainable practices in the cannabis industry mm -hmm. because Massachusetts had just legalized. I wouldn't think I even was in, in the state house yet. And so I put the, produced that event. My friend that ran the event got a job as a government affairs director at an energy company. She said, hey, I'm going to pass the event on to you. And I've been talking with this guy to partner with. And that guy was Ben Gelt, who mm -hmm. ran the Cannabis Certification Council, who you all worked with. And that's yep. when I met you all. So that's sort of how it began for me was the idea of sustainability practices, knowing that cannabis uses you know, a lot of energy, a lot of water. Mm -hmm. And because of the licensing rules around packaging um, and advertising you know, for to safeguard youth, there's lots of material use. So those three sort of sustainability areas got me interested in it. And the more and more I studied it, I realized my knowledge around legislative affairs and communications is really where I needed to, to push as opposed to, I would always be interested in the sustainability side, but I began to push and push and push. And uh, sort of what links this whole conversation today together was in putting together a, an event in October of 2019, right before COVID for the Certification Council, I had then um, minor, um, Majority Leader, uh, no, he was the Assistant Majority Leader, uh, Representative Rennie Cushing, mm -hmm. um, be on a panel at this event in Worcester, Mass. And that's how I got to know Rennie. I was already uh, just started serving in the House um, and he was the forward-thinking um, representative trying to move cannabis along. And he said, you need to talk to our ace in the hole. And I said, who's that? And he said, <laughs> Matt Simon. <laughs> so that's sort of how we're all here together because um, Rennie Cushing, and I have to do say, he has passed on. And he, he something really special that he did for me was he asked me to chair the House Cannabis Caucus the last couple of years. And I want to see that through. You know, I announced uh, just a week ago that I'm going to run for re-election, and I made sure that in my social statement about why I was running, there was this and there was that, and it was to legalize commercial cannabis to help reduce the tax burden on property tax owners in New Hampshire. So you that go. you know, a lot of times politicians will go, "Hey, I'm for this and I'm for that," and every once in a while they go, "Well, I don't really want to tell anybody that I'm for cannabis. Right. I don't care. I want people to know." <laughs> that I see it as a, a personal right and I see it as a business opportunity. So that's a little bit about sort of the quick way to get me how I came here today. Yeah. Well, you know, in in I think that's wonderful and and I, and I you know, I love that you you know, put yourself out there like that because I think that's what we need more and more as people standing up and speaking and, and kind of helping to dispel some of the stigma that's attached to it. And that's a lot of what I still see on the East Coast and especially even how a lot of these bills are being written and kind of pushed through, you can just tell that there's still a stigma attached to it. And we're, we're still having to kind of push ideas around to try to get people to, to kind of re maybe reframe their brain a bit about how, how we look at cannabis and how we look at especially legal cannabis in a marketplace. So, you know, tell us a little bit more about um, New Hampshire, you know, either Matt or, or Tim, just tell us a little bit more about New Hampshire, uh, maybe kind of how this latest bill kind of came to be and, and what happened with it. I'm going to defer to Matt because he's been involved in New Hampshire longer than I have. And so I, I feel like, you know, I go to him for counsel. So I'll let him tell you sort of the, he's he's been through all the war, war stories. Well, thanks, Tim. I'll give it a shot. Uh, if there's one thing that people usually know about New Hampshire, even if they don't know anything else, they know it's the live free or die state. Mm -hmm. We actually have the words live free or die on every license plate, front and back of every vehicle. And it's the state motto. Uh, and one would think that cannabis legalization would be an issue that would be covered by a slogan like live free or die. <laughs> yeah. When I got involved like 15 years ago, I, I thought naively it turns out that New Hampshire could be the first state on the East Coast or in, in the Northeast to, to actually pioneer cannabis legalization. But back then we were just trying to get a, a conversation started. It was still very difficult to, to get especially elected officials to, to talk about it. We started with medical cannabis. After several years, we were finally able to pass a medical cannabis bill in 2013, very limited. We were able to decriminalize possession in 2017. And since then, we've been studying 
legalization. We've had legalization bills. They've taken a number of different forms. Several of them have passed the House of Representatives. <clears throat> In New Hampshire, we have a 400-member House of Representatives, which is, I believe, the most representative representative uh, legislative body on the planet. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. The third largest on the planet uh, behind the U.S. Congress and India's parliament. So House is very democratic in the small D sense of public opinion very often manifests in in votes in the House. Sometimes you see committees try to control things and try to kill bills. They get overturned on the House floor very frequently, and that's been the case on canvas bills. Then these bills go to the Senate where there are only 24 members, and we encounter a very different situation there, and they either kill our bills or in the case of medical cannabis, they rewrite them, mm. take home grow out of them. So it's actually still a felony in New Hampshire for a registered patient wow. to grow cannabis, which I always like to lead with that. When I'm talking to people <laughs> out of state, they think we're just a little bit behind. No, we're a lot behind. Yeah, um, We've done the <laughs> every step of the way, and it's gotten to the point where I think most people are pretty embarrassed by it. Uh, the latest poll from U- University of New Hampshire Survey Center found 74% public support for legalizing cannabis. That's much higher than any elected official in the state's approval rating. So this ought to be an easy sell. So far, it really hasn't been. And this year, we fell short yet again. And here we are. It's election season. One silver lining we always have is that all 424 legislators plus the governor in New Hampshire have to face voters every two years, which oh, is wow. mm-hmm. pretty unusual by national standards. Yeah. But it means always a new opportunity to elect different people. And that's we're in the middle of the filing period right now. And uh, <laughs> there'll be a summer and fall where I anticipate cannabis is going to be one of the main issues that we're talking about. Because as Tim said, we are now surrounded. Uh, there are stores across the Massachusetts border. There are stores across the main border. They'll be opening in Vermont later this year. It's legal in Canada. We are literally surrounded by jurisdictions where cannabis is legal for adult use and we're trying to catch up. (laughs) I totally understand. Yeah, so it was like the island of prohibition, right? So you guys should be able to legalize, right? It was funny. It was funny the way you both went, yeah, like like disappointing when Matt said, you know, we go... We came this far, and, and then it's a whole different situation in the Senate. And you went, yeah, and like that. We can't home grow. It's not even home grow is not even part of medical patients where it's been like that in Rhode Island forever. And it was just sort of very telling your comment of like, yeah, we're sort of like the we're the little little red wagon that can't go up the hill. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, it's true, though, because I think we even saw it on Twitter when, you know, they didn't pass. And I, I told Jared, I'm like, they didn't do it. It was so sad. And we knew Tim would be sad. And we, we want to definitely see this move forward. So hopefully, you know, it's coming. Um, but Matt, let's back up a little bit. I'd like to learn a little bit more about your background. I know you ha- helped a lot. One of your greatest achievements was in Vermont when you helped with the legalization in 2018. I know you had some assistance, you know, in Massachusetts and some other states as well. So kind of tell us a little bit more about your background and, you know, why you're inherently involved with these legalization efforts. Yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride. Uh, for me, it goes back to, I mean, I have to go back to childhood. I grew up in the 80s. We all had the just say no, Mm -hmm. uh, Nancy Reagan stuff. And I grew up believing all that. I I believe cannabis was a terrible drug and there was was no benefit to it whatsoever. Then I was a freshman in college and I was an English major. So one of my friends got assigned a a paper and and one of the potential topics was should marijuana be legal? Hmm. Well, nobody knew how to do research in the dorm except me. So we went, (laughs) I said, that's actually, I've always wanted to look into this and see what's there. You know, what is the history of this issue and what's how do we separate fact from fiction here? So yeah. went to the university library, uh, did all of the research that I could possibly do, used all of my skills. And what I came away with was just a sense of astonishment at how little had ever been written about this and how little thought had ever gone in to cannabis policy at that time. This was in the mid 90s. Uh, we would like to think. But at some point in history, all the smart doctors and scientists got together and said, okay, what are all the drugs that, that might be problematic? Let's, let's talk about the pros and cons of each of them and let's craft 
sensible policies on that basis. If you study the history of cannabis prohibition, you will find that it is so not that, and is <laughs> yeah. a bunch of other things. And I don't want to turn this into a, a, a history interview. It's utterly fascinating to me still, and we're still trying to rewrite that that history. So I was a college instructor for seven years as the internet became more and more of a thing. Uh, my students started doing more and more of their research on the internet. And some student always wants to write about cannabis legalization. Every mm -hmm. semester is at least one of them. So as I'm kind of helping them with their research and seeing how more is being written each mm -hmm. year, there's more credible scientific minds actually applying themselves to this, despite the stigma. Medical cannabis had passed in, in California and, and a couple other states in the late 90s. Maine in 1999 was one of the first states. And so there became a track record of people are using cannabis, uh, deriving medicinal benefits from cannabis, and the people who are using it for non-medical reasons seem to be having fewer problems than people who drink, certainly. Hmm. And given that alcohol is legal in all 50 states, uh, it seemed obvious to me that cannabis was just less harmful. And all of the research that I've done since then has, has led me to believe that even more strongly. Uh, cannabis is less harmful than alcohol, and what harms are associated with cannabis, well, those can be managed much more sensibly for a regulated system. Prohibition only exacerbates all of those harms by putting people into the criminal justice system and by making it impossible to have a regulated market that, mm -hmm. that people can, can buy from. So I think we've learned so much of that has turned out to be true in practice in states like Colorado, as you're all aware, have pioneered responsible cannabis markets and yeah. Nobody misses prohibition very much. There might be a few people up in Colorado Springs, but <laughs> yeah. not very many. Yeah, really. When we come to uh, Vermont, which I've never worked really in ballot initiatives. I, I was a member of the, the drafting committee in Massachusetts, uh, but I, I had a pretty minimal role there. I, I only work in states that it has to be done through the legislature. So mm. only about half of the states in the U.S. can put it on the ballot and go around the legislature New Hampshire and Vermont are two where it has to be done by legislators. Mm -hmm. So Vermont is where I focused a lot to begin with when I was hired by MPP. Uh, and we were able to make it in 2018. It became the first state to legalize through the legislative process. Uh, that was a bill that was only legalizing possession and limited home cultivation. We weren't able to build consensus around the regulated market at first. Uh, but once we did legalize possession and, and cultivation, so many of our opponents realized, oh, wow, cannabis is legal now. I guess my objections are gone. We should have a regulated market. So <laughs> a lot of people came back to the table and said, I was against this before, but now we need to figure it out. And in 2010, they did pass a, a comprehensive regulation bill. I'm really proud of that one, by the way. There are a couple things I don't like. But overall, I, I really think they did a terrific job and, you know, had study after study, listened to what, what everybody had to say, had listening sessions around the state, and crafted responsible policy that I think they're going to be really happy with in the long run. New Hampshire simply hasn't done that. <laughs> we, we did have one study commission. Uh, it was unfortunately chaired by one of our biggest opponents, hmm. and uh, <laughs> the membership was overall not favorable at all, but even they learned a ton. This was four years. <laughs> yeah. They learned a lot. Even some of them trying not to learn, learned a lot. And they, they, <laughs> they made good recommendations. And we've had bills based on those recommendations. And no, they haven't passed. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's really just been a tale of two states. Vermonters and, and Granite they think they're pretty different from each other. You'll, you might hear people say that Vermont's an upside-down New Hampshire or that New Hampshire's an upside-down Vermont. I spend a lot of time in both states, and I think people are pretty similar and have pretty similar values. They do believe in personal freedom. They think you should be able to grow and consume cannabis and that we should have a responsible market, not not just any market, a market that helps small businesses and, and that tries to produce a high-quality product that, that, that the state can actually be proud of. So I think Vermont's well in its way, and I think New Hampshire, we should try to learn real hard from Vermont. <laughs> There you go. You know, a couple takeaways from that, and I'm going to prompt a few more questions here kind of as follow-up, but I just want to note, you know, I think 
I think it's incredible what you've done and kind of helped to kind of at least start heading down the right track, I guess, get like a foot in the water. And, and that's what we've started to notice here on and in Colorado and other states around us and elsewhere in the country is there is this kind of first step to, to de- decriminalize it. And then maybe the next step is uh, have a medical market. And then the final step obviously is recreational. And, and we've kind of watched that in a number of states. And I'm curious now if we're to the point now where we can kind of start skipping some of this stuff because it has been, it's been tested, you know, in other markets and I'm sure other legislators and, and regulators have, you know, been nervous about it and wanted to kind of see how it all unveils. But it's almost like now we're, we're 10 years into this experiment in Colorado. Um, we could probably start moving past this, you know, tiptoe and, and go directly to other States and say, you know, what's worked, what hasn't worked. What have you guys, you know, debated? What's the dialogue been like? Uh, what's the regulatory framework you guys are using? And just start basically like, you know, going off of that and then starting there versus um, it sounds like a lot of it's still just you're having to break through people's personal opinions on it and then kind of have to try to walk it back with education. And, and kind of like what you're saying, there's not a lot of education available. So you're, you're having to play this waiting game of waiting for researchers and scientists to create this credible information you could use. And then you got to go back and redebate it. And, and it sounds kind of time consuming while everybody, you know, like you said, 74% of people and, and kind of a, a mirrored sentiment across the US, like everybody wants cannabis legalization. It's probably one of the most bipartisan things out there. So, um, you know, how do you guys combat that? And maybe back to Tim, you know, what's the dialogue like with, what's the dialogue like with, uh, you know, people across the aisle? Are they interested? Are they completely against it? Are they open to hearing, you know, suggestions? Like, what's that like? Well, I, I think they're very interested. You know, when, uh, when I, uh, was asked to be the House chair, I reached out to, uh, and many said, there's a couple um, Republican legislators that are contacting this young representative who's a bit, became a bit of a point person because she took an edible before one of her hearings and then said during the hearing, during COVID, she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm losing focus because I had to take an edible for my back. And so she became sort of the Democratic point person. And Representative Cushing said, I need someone that's a little more business-like, and, you know, he knew my background of business and communications and education. He's like, I need a little different person in charge. And so I ended up reaching out to them, and I almost became their chair their chair of their caucus. I rallied free staters and moderate Republicans and businessmen, Republican, men and women Republicans, you know, who saw the, the economic of it, and tried to get us all together and constantly kept talking to the point where even now, Matt's part of this, we actually have a a conference call every week, and it's libertarians and free staters and Democrats and Republicans and business and medicinal. So that was one part that I got involved in. But I think two things else that happened that um, play into this. I think one of the things that I saw, what Massachusetts did really well, is they actually packaged up a bunch of their representatives and sent them to Colorado and sent them to California to research it and engage other legislators. And New Hampshire has not done that. And that's one of the things I'm going to do this year. I realized, you know, Matt, you guys can't see this on the podcast, but Matt is shaking his head (laughs) because that's frustration. But the idea that while the state won't do it because in Massachusetts, you know, they're more of a tax heavy state. And so they, they basically said, Hey, we're going to fund this to go. I'm going to, I'll offer to drive legislators or take them, but we need to go to Maine, to Mass, to Vermont, and talk to them about what's working there. Mm-hmm. Um, they may be a little hesitant because we're competition, but I think if you're talking to pro-cannabis legislators, they're going to want to say, great, we want it to be legal in your state because when I come to visit you, when I go there to ski or hike, I want to be able to get access to it too. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that I think that was done differently that I saw that Massachusetts did quite well, which was educating firsthand the legislators. I think something go. else along that vein that I've gotten involved in by teaching at Northern Vermont University in Vermont, which is part of the Vermont State College System, they're combining all four of our campuses. Well, I found out that at our Castleton campus, they actually have a cannabis study certificate program. Nice. So I reached out to the chair of the program and I said, how can I help you? To the point where I'm taking the cannabis business class this nice. summer so that I can teach it this fall. They, I oh. teach business and communications and, and marketing. So they asked me to get involved. And now I'm also being their liaison working with the Vermont Cannabis Control Board and the Agency for Commerce and Community Development because I've dealt with those people before mm-hmm. through my work with the Certification Council. I've dealt with state agencies. I guess I get more respect or attention or phone call return because I'm a legislator calling a commissioner 
or an economic development officer. So I think those things are, are ways to sort of get data and educate consumers. And then by being part of the sort of the educational system, you know, mm -hmm. figuring out how to teach it. I, you know, I said to the folks at Castleton, we need to offer this to folks in, in New Hampshire, because I think if you get more folks interested in the program, they'll push their legislators more. They'll push their senators that yeah. have been sort of the bit of the problem. Mm -hmm. And I think the last thing that I want to talk about when Matt talked about, you know, that every two years, you know, we're up for election. I've talked about four or five different folks that I know in the House that are running for Senate positions who were all pro-cannabis. And I said, I'm going to keep you honest on that. When you run, there you go. I'll support you if as long as you're supporting cannabis. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I'm going to make it more of a public issue in the election process because that's where it needs to be. It's one thing to say, great, we're all legislators. Let's see if we can turn this into a law. But to hold people accountable when they're running for office, so they have to say to their public, you know, their constituents, I'm for this. And then when they get into the House, you know, and or into the Senate, that you can, you can hold them accountable because they've promised their constituents that. So I think uh, one other thing that came to mind when, when Matt was talking that I found was fascinating. We were talking about, you know, cannabis versus alcohol and, and the way it's changing and, and the research that's now available. So I found a study, the NHTSA, the Highway Safety Transportation Agency, actually did a study on, you know, under the influence um, testing. And they found that actually folks that are under the influence of cannabis drive slower, follow cars at greater distance, and uh, are more responsible, take less chances when driving, as opposed to those under the influence of alcohol who drive faster, drive closer distances, and take greater risks. So I'm not saying that, hey, cannabis will make you a better driver, <laughs> but when you start looking at the research of how does it affect the public, you're less of a risk. And that's big for insurance companies when mm -hmm. they go, all right, what do we want to you know, evaluate here when we want to change law enforcement rules? So a couple of these things that I think all really make sense, like if we can find research, promote it, educate people, and hold people, legislators, accountable, maybe we can move this ball uh, across. You know, uh, it's, it's, it is why I ran for re-election. It's one of the three major reasons. And, and I, you know, I, I think it's only a matter, it's only right that we try to give the people in New Hampshire what they want. You know, Matt, when Matt talked about that, you know, 74%, I think, Matt, if I remember, it was like when they talked about retail sale, I think it was almost like 80, 80, 85% of the people were comfortable buying it in some type of retail outlet as much as, you know, having it legal and growing it. So it just makes sense. Yeah. And I'm, I'm at this point where it's like, I'm not going to stop because something makes sense. I'm not going to go sit on the corner because someone told me, no, <laughs> I just have to convince and educate and, and engage more people. Yeah. yeah. I think it was that same study too that you're, you're, uh, you're quoting that also found that Cannabis drivers are technically safer than people who are on prescription drugs as well. Like those who are on prescription drugs, they had tested a little bit higher on the scale, closer to alcohol as far as driving impairment. And so um, I think what you're saying, Tim, is that, you know, the, these kind of these roadblocks that are being kind of thrown in the way, uh, they're more meant to like trip up um, legalization efforts versus there being, you know, any like credence to them. And that's what, you know, my hometown, it's funny that. I live in Colorado. My hometown's in Colorado. It's a really rural community. Cannabis is still illegal there um, in the sense that you can't, there's no like licensed or uh, regulatory framework or anything. And they just try to vote it in again. And they, the city council squelched it. And, and it was like, it's like painful for me to have to, you know, listen to the city council meetings and listen to the, you know, the, the people come in and talk about cannabis and be completely wrong about it and have some really, you know, disparaging things to say about those who either consume cannabis or work in the industry. And, and I can imagine those same conversations are probably happening, you know, on the East Coast in New Hampshire. And, you know, a lot of this stuff, it, it really pains me to think that people still have these really hardcore beliefs that are completely false. And at the very least, I look at my hometown as like they could use tax revenue like you know, like the ground could use water in everywhere. You know, it's like they, they need the tax revenue. Essentially, all they're doing is they're allowing a black market to flourish. Uh, they're having, you know, their, their citizens have to drive hours to go purchase this product and, you know, have to risk transporting it or consuming it on the way and then having, you know, DUI or something or impairment on the way versus, 
you know, they could drive, you know, two minutes around the block and, and pick some stuff up and go back to their house and safely consume and safely consume a product that's tested and regulated and comes from a, a dispensary where, you know, there's rules and regulations and there's, there's fines and there's penalties and uh, there's all these, there's a whole system in place to protect the consumer essentially. And there's no consumer protections in, in an unregulated market and there's no tax incentive for local businesses. There's, there's none of that. And so at the very least, I think people need to wake up and, and at least go visit another state or visit a dispensary and realize that uh, this is a very legitimate market. And in fact, it may be one of the most regulated markets in the U.S. at this point. And, and you know, as regulators kind of continue to move through this, they still have total control over how this market plays out. And at the very least, what consumers are going to get from it is a regulated product. It's tested. It has standards. Um, they know what they're getting. If there's an issue with it, somebody goes off the rails, there's at least, you know, a place to point a finger versus uh, a black market. You have none of that. So, um, you know, I, I think it'll come around. I just think people have to kind of wake up to, to what's happening versus, you know, holding on to these beliefs they've had for hundreds of years. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about this HB, um, you know, 1598. I know it did pass the House and it didn't pass the Senate. So it's something we want to talk a little bit more about. And Matt, specifically for you, there was a couple of things when we were reading it that jumped out of us, at us. First of all, it's a state-run market model, right? So that's going to be run by the New Hampshire State Liquor Commission, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> um, as well as I saw that they took edibles off the list of sales. And then you guys had mentioned earlier the issue with home grow. So maybe can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, some of those issues and what you think about them? Well, I have a lot of opinions about them, certainly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had a study commission, as I said, a few, few years ago, and they recommended really a free market type system based on best practices that have been observed in other states. And we had bills that were based on that. They passed the House and died in the Senate. Uh, this year, this bill came out of nowhere. I didn't know it was coming, but it was sponsored by a Republican, uh, somebody who had spoken on the floor against all of our previous bills and who had been extremely hostile to our issue. Uh, and he basically came along and said, okay, I'm willing to support it if it's this version and only this version. And by the way, we can't make any changes to it. It's my way or the highway. You have to like it. Huh. Well, I didn't like it. I actually had to lobby against this bill, and it was very difficult. I was lobbying for another bill that legalized possession and home grow, which passed the House and got nine votes in the Senate. Uh, we couldn't even get that done. So it was clear the Senate wasn't going to support any form of legalization this year. And the real question was, are we desperate enough to pass a, a bill that most people think is bad just to get something done. And I respect people who voted in favor, Tim did. I respect people who voted against it. I was asking them to, uh, but at the end of the day, I'm glad that bill didn't pass. We have an opportunity to do much better, go back to the drawing board, mm -hmm. write a bill that makes sense. And if we do have to end up going along with the state monopoly bill because the governor insists or because the Senate insists, let's at least try to make some good policy in there mm -hmm. along the way. Let's try to get homegrown in there. Gee, at least for patients. Come on, at yeah. least for patients. Uh, this bill legalized possession, and that, I would argue, is basically the only positive thing it did from a best practices standpoint. So I think we can do a lot better, and I, and I think we should. So the question, one of the questions goes back to, you mentioned asking Tim about the other side of the aisle. It's actually been really bipartisan in New Hampshire, hmm. both the support and the opposition. It's, it's strange. This is an issue that divides both parties. So we've had previous Democratic governors who did not support medical cannabis and did not support decrim. It was actually our current governor, Chris Sununu, who's a Republican that signed the decrim bill his, his first year in office in 2017 hmm. and signed some other bills to improve the medical cannabis program that we couldn't get under the previous Democrat. Uh, the poll we've talking about shows over 50% support from Republican voters in the state. And uh, in the House, there are, I lost count, there are so many, it's like a third of the House that votes in favor of legalization of, of Republicans. Hmm. And it's very bipartisan. Then we get to the Senate, because there are only 14 of them, and they hmm. cram into this little caucus room. And there's a lot of groupthink that happens okay. in that room. A lot of those people have formed their opinions back in 1985 and have shown zero interest in updating their opinions ever since. So it's it's really a numbers problem and a cracking the walnut type problem. 
Uh, but we do still, believe it or not, there are three Democratic senators of, of the 10 in New Hampshire who still don't support legalization. And one of them is our Senate president. So oh, wow. we have a bipartisan problem in the New Hampshire Senate that <laughs> is the reason that this can't get done. Hmm. That's pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you you know if you're candid enough, you want to you know, share some of the maybe some of the the you know the talking points. I guess they have. You know, what's the opposition like? What what are they saying? Like, what's the holdup? I guess. I I would like to. I don't like to straw man other people's arguments, but honestly, I can't think of a single good argument that they've made. You know, uh, when we point out how we're surrounded and and you know that all of our money's flowing and the cash registers right across the border. Yeah. And it makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, you know, if prohibition was ever an effective deterrent in the past, which it wasn't, but if it ever was, surely it isn't now when I can drive 20 minutes <laughs> down the road and have uh, access to an adult use cannabis store right across the Massachusetts border. So it's really insane at this point. And mm-hmm. uh, they don't have any good arguments, but basically they, the one that I hear is, well, you know, if if, if others just because other states are doing it doesn't mean that we should. Maybe maybe we're the smart ones here. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds like you know, when I was seven, my mom would say something <laughs> like, "Well, if everybody else was jumping off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge too?" Yeah. That I think is the intellectual caliber of the opposition at this point. Interesting. Yeah. So, Tim, for you, I mean, how does this feel to, you know, be a part of the House of Representatives and to really, I know you have really strong, you know, arguments for the economic growth with cannabis legalization. That's one of your big, you know, proponents of this bill. But tell us a little bit more, like, what's the next step now? Like, what's going to happen? How, how do you get other people on board? Like you said, they've, they've had these views since 1985. So what do we do? Well, I think part of it is, is supporting candidates that are going to come in and run in the Senate and that are pro-cannabis and, you know, just putting viewpoints in the seats that are open-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I'm not afraid to rebut, you know, senators who say, hey, if you jump off the bridge, well, you know, if your other friends do, you or the other comment from one senator was, well, we have to protect our people and, you know, they might be too high to know what they're doing, so we need to protect them. <laughs> I'm like, that didn't even make any sense because... <laughs> If it's not legal, how could they be high? So these the, that sort of outdated mentality has to get moved along. And you do that by bringing in, you know, potentially new open-minded representative, representation. I think the second part is making them aware, hammering away at it. You know, if I got to create workshops or if I have to create a, a discussion um, sessions, you know, being able to make these legislators aware of the value of it, not just you know, the economics, but the medicinal side, the the fact that, you know, you, I think you referenced it, Jared, when you talked about people could potentially drive to Vermont, Maine, Mass, use their cannabis. Now you're, we're making them drive under the influence yeah, because exactly. they're going to go purchase it and use it and drive back home yep. if we're not giving them an opportunity to use it here. So, you know, those are the kind of things that I think have to be made aware to legislators. And then I think the last part is, you know, let's not be hypocritical. We're a state with the, we promote the lowest cigarette tax in the country. Mm-hmm. We have uh, an alcohol managed uh, state run system that's the most lucrative in the country. You know, we're, we have sports book now in, in, in um, New Hampshire. I think we're one of two states in, in New England that have it. Mm-hmm. Let's not be hypocritical and say, Oh, Kino and scratch tickets. You can have all this stuff that has a sort of a, a I'll say a syntaxed oriented, you know, atmosphere, but you can't have this. It's just, it's preposterous. And it means, what it says to me is we become the laughing stock of look how antiquated of thinking. And it, what it, where it comes down to is then in the big picture, do companies and families and folks that want to be innovative and modern thinking want to move to our state? Mm -hmm. And if we're already an older state, you know, one of the four oldest by population states in the country, Florida, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Well, how do we get young people here? If young people are open-minded, innovative, you know, open to different cultures, different races, different sexualities, and open to, you know, cannabis over alcohol, we need to do that to grow the state. Otherwise, we'll be this sort of, you know, land of old, cranky people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that's what I was kind of just that's what I was thinking in terms of Matt like you said old cranky people and it's like how much easier would this have been if this was just a ballot initiative like you said 76% of people are all for it like this would have been a done deal who knows how many years ago but you're going through kind of like this old system in a way where you have to pass 400 people and they you know half of them are saying yay and then you've got 24 and you know half of them say nay and so it's like well then what you know you're at a stalemate there when really the people of New Hampshire probably would have said yes a long time ago and 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 I'll and I'll to you up, Matt, we even had three bills, which they call CACRs, constitutional amendments, which would be, the, it's a you pass it in the House and it takes the question to the state voter. So when they vote in mm-hmm. this election, there would have been a bill that you would have been able to say, are you in favor of legalizing cannabis? Yeah. All three of those got shot down. They didn't even give the people that they represent the chance to make up, make their own opinion val- uh, aware. So it would surprise me that Again, I'm going to go back to the beginning where Matt said, you know, you'd think in the state called the live free or die state (laughs) that they'd give the people the voice to do things. And here their own legislators said, no, 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 we don't think you we like they're very much in the Senate. We know better than you and we have to hold your hand. Mm -hmm. And then they call Massachusetts the nanny state, but they act that way. It just blows my mind. (laughs) You know, I was just going to say, you know, I'm when I kind of close with Matt as well, but I'll just say, you know, we're at a time where uh, there's a lot of issues facing our country. And like we've said a few times here, cannabis has overwhelming support, uh, you know, bipartisan support. I always joke with Lucy of like the second that, you know, Republicans get the idea that they need to promote cannabis to to win reelection. We're going to have federal cannabis everywhere because that's, you know, it's it's just like it's it is this old game of and, and it's like the old guard, you know, and, and people don't want to see change or they're they're holding on to old ideas. And I'll just say that, you know, cannabis, cannabis isn't going away. It's not going to you know, these states aren't going to reverse anything. Hey, the constituents are demanding it. You know, people in New Hampshire are going to drive to Vermont and, and Rhode Island and Connecticut and Maine and they're going to Canada. I mean, if they can and they're going to consume the cannabis, you're just going to miss out ultimately on the tax revenue and then also just make it harder for your constituents to to you know, trust your leadership, I guess, in, in government, and also just live their life, and and uh, you know, it'd be good on anybody to kind of take the liberty to, to see what their constituents want and say, let's do our best to to bring this forth in a safe manner and and give them what they want. If they want home grow, you know, there's you know a handful, there's a couple dozen states now that have you know cannabis laws. Like you can look to any number, one of them, of how they're regulating home grow. It's not like something new that New Hampshire is going to have to face. So I think that you know the sooner that states. Um, can get a grasp and kind of help pass their own laws, I think the better. And, uh, you know, I know we're going to get into federal later, but I don't think that, you know, any state should wait till federal legalization um, to occur to, to make any type of move. I think that's just too late. Yeah, totally agree with you, Jared. And, you know, as a political issue, I've always led with it. Most important, when I started working on this, there were a million Americans being arrested every year for cannabis offenses. That number has declined dramatically. But there are still, I think it's important to remember, especially people who are sitting in Colorado and states that have been legal for 10 years, there are still a lot of states in this country where people are being arrested every day for cannabis possession, and they are spending time in jail. Mm -hmm. And it is absolutely abhorrent to me that that happens. So I am willing to, if somebody has to die on the hill to fight for those things, I, I stuck with this battle as long as I could, and that's what kept me. It was not money or markets or anything like that. It was the idea that our criminal justice system in this country is still churning people who use cannabis through it and hurting their lives and hurting their families. And it's just wrong and it needs to end. That's why I'm so insistent about homegrown. And that's why I'm so insistent about leading the bills that put criminal justice policy first. The money gets complicated. The regulatory system gets complicated. There are a million policy choices that you have to make when you're setting up a regulated system. And a bill can really get derailed over those details. Let's start with doing what most states have done first. Just make it legal for people to possess and grow a little bit. And let's figure out how to create a responsible market that makes sense and works for the state and works for the people. And then let's move on and talk about something else. There are so many other issues and problems in this country and in every state that need legislators' attention. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, I, and I'll agree with Matt and say that, 
part of one of the things that, that he referenced there that really gets me excited is when I see states start to talk about giving licenses to the BIPOC community or respecting restorative justice uh, set-asides for licensure or even you know, technical assistance grants. That's what's going on in Vermont, which excites me. So you know, maybe those are some of the things that have to go into legislation to get people to understand, you know, what we're drive on one side of the state, one state line, and people are enjoying it and drive on the to the other side of the state and people are going to jail for it. And it's just yeah. it, like Matt said, it's preposterous. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe if we make more folks understand that there are can be acts aspects of legislation that can, you know, engage folks that would normally would have been part of, of uh, law enforcement activity and, and, you know, wrongly profiled, we need to make, maybe that's the social statement that we can make, yeah. you know, that we can help our society in general by saying, look, we're, we're, you know, I say it to people. And again, I know Matt, I, I just, maybe it's, maybe that's been my angle is, is economics, but like, how much money are we wasting in law enforcement and corrections and the judicial system and glutting up the system to process a 25-year-old kid because he's got a half an ounce of weed. Yeah. And it's just it's just like, let's move on. Let's get on to the things like, let's get on to, you know, assault weapons. Let's get on to, you know, sexual predators. Let's get on to, you know, environmental hazards, the things that actually really cause us problems in this country where, you know, cannabis is, is sort of, it actually helps us with our problems. <laughs> right. It helps, helps us calm down on a stressful day. <laughs> Well, I mean, I applaud you both. I think New Hampshire should be happy to have the both of you. Tim, I know you've worked really hard. It's really cool even to learn from the podcast, your evolution, you know, starting in sustainability back in, you know, 2018, 2019 to now. And just to see, you know, all your growth and how much knowledge you've learned. And now that you're sharing with others and you're going to be teaching a cannabis class at Vermont school. Like, that's so cool. I love that. So it's really cool to watch your progress over the years. And just to know, like, you both are really inherently involved this legalization in New Hampshire, which I know, cross your fingers, is going to happen one of these days. So both of you keep fighting the good fight. Uh, We have just one final thought, and then we'll finish with a final question. But for either one of you, Tim or Matt, you know, do you have any thoughts on where you see, you know, federal legalization in the coming years? And uh, I'm going to let Matt answer this with the, and I've said this to him before. (laughs) He's the most learned person I know in the cannabis industry in New England. So I'm going to let him answer this, which is why I go to him when I'm thinking about things. So go ahead, Matt. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, I I really don't pay a lot of attention to Congress. I worked in the state policies department at Marijuana Policy Project, so it was never my job to deal with Congress. I do have friends that work at the major national organizations, so I get some, some intel. I don't think anybody has any firm idea of when federal reform is going to happen or what it's going to look like. Mm -hmm. And from a business perspective, I I do work for a dispensary now. It is incredibly (laughs) hard to anticipate what the future might or might not hold. Uh, We don't have any clue. It it could be as simple as federal law allowing states to continue to do what they do. Mm -hmm. And that would probably be something that most people could agree would be a big step forward. Or it could be something that, that, that is very different and, and that brings interstate commerce into the equation and all bets are off if that happens. Devil's going to be in the details, whatever it is. And I, you know, I really, federal legalization obviously should happen, but I am most concerned about seeing states mm-hmm. create policies that work, that are good models. And I think the more states do that, the better off we're going to be in any in any environment going forward. I don't think any of us want five or 10 big corporations to be controlling the cannabis space nationally. And we have states like Vermont that have robust, and New Hampshire for that matter, that have robust craft brewing uh, industries that are a good model for what these businesses could look like. Uh, Do we want to just have a few companies make a lot of money? Do we want to just have the state of New Hampshire make a lot of money? Or do we want to create an industry where there are lots of small businesses and, and they're they're able to uh, produce high quality products and, and, and be known and respected and, and something that the actual the state and, and the local folks can be can be proud of. And, yeah. and I would agree with everything Matt said, which is why I said I follow his <laughs> most of the time, because it is it, it, it is it should be small business development and, mm-hmm. you know, 
vertical integration for people that want to grow, dispense, make edibles. As soon as it turns into the McDonald's and Burger Kings of the world, and that's why I know you this may sound strange, I'm not in favor of federal legalization. Mm-hmm. I'm in favor of descheduling because then it allows all the states that want to run it their own way and the states that don't want it, if they're really going to be sticks in the muds, they can do the state, you know, it's a state rights thing. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's where we move along. I think we're a long way off. Look what we had to go through just to get federalized health care. It was, yeah. you know, it was a menagerie for a while. So. Yeah. And the when question, I'll just point out, New Hampshire has two U.S. senators. They both happen to be Democrats and they both oppose legalization. Mm-hmm. So... There are a number of Democrats in the Senate that do not support any form of legalization. I think it's going to be hard to get 51 votes anytime soon. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I would agree with both of you on that, too, in that I don't, I don't, you know, see federal legalization being necessary, but I do see some changes, especially with the banking and, and uh, you know, some clarification from the IRS with 280E. Uh, we've talked about that a few times, and I think that, you know, especially you, Matt, I'm sure you're, you're well aware of, of those two big things that affect really? operators today. and. And I think, um, you know, even legislators out there, state legislators especially, should look at some of these issues and realize that, like, this isn't child's play. It isn't, you know, a bunch of black market dealers coming to the table. It's very much business people trying to run a business and entrepreneurs trying to, you know, create and innovate and and do new things. And people who have been harmed by the war on drugs try to, you know, repair some of those years they've lost or or, you know, relationships they've lost and, and just try to get their life back. And that's that's what we're looking for. Like Tim said, you know, this is a small business thing. And and I see New Hampshire having the ability to kind of, you know, put their own stamp on cannabis with their own, you know, cultural spin on it and the things unique to that region. You know, Colorado is still very much, you know, it may have been a leader and there may be some, you know, large companies that are growing out of Colorado and kind of percolating throughout the U.S. But we still have a huge number of companies that are local to Colorado that are serving our local culture and communities and and kind of doing it their way. And so I think the sooner that states come on, online, they can have a little bit more control over it and then also provide that opportunity uh, to the citizens of that state to, to you know, innovate and, and create something and kind of, you know, have an opportunity out there. So I think what you both said is great. And, and uh, you know, just to kind of wrap up here, I really appreciate you both taking the time to, to talk with us and kind of, you know, get us up to speed on on what's happening up there in the, in the, in the Northeast. So... Um, you know, thank you both for your efforts. And, and I look forward to, uh, I know when, when it does come around and we have legal cannabis in New Hampshire, I'll know I'll be sure to thank you both at that point. I'll be inviting you out when we have <laughs> yeah. you. You'll be coming, <laughs> yes. coming and hanging out and, and, and go for a hike and enjoy yeah. some. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you both. Uh, we have one final question for you. Uh, so we are the Lit and Lucid podcast. So are you lit or are you lucid? Right now I'm trying to be I lucid. stayed lucid for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> two for two. Two lucid. <laughs> we'll take it. Thank you so much for, for having us on. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. It's always great to talk to you, Lucy and Jared, and I really love your podcast and what you're doing with it. And I really appreciate what you, your commitment to the industry as well. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Absolutely. Great chatting. All right, you guys. With that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. <laughs> Bye. This episode of the Lit and Lucid podcast is brought to you by Yoohoo Digital. Yoohoo Digital is a full-service digital marketing agency specializing in website design, SEO, and social media management for cannabis and hemp businesses. Learn more at www.yoohoodigital.com.